So, I talk a lot about my acting career when I was at ASIO, but you'd be surprised at how much intelligence supports the arts. Right. So, put it this way, I used to get what I used to call an instant arts grant from ASIO. Every time I needed a photocopy of a script, I'd do it at work. And that was my... created your own arts program. That was my instant arts grant, was to get (laughs) ASIO to do my photocopying. The other thing that was really interesting is I got a lot of acting workshop work with ASIO. Because I was constantly going down to training and pretending to to be other people to train spies how to recruit agents. I feel like your whole career was an acting assignment. (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the thing. What I've discovered, and this really blows me away, is just how much intelligence relied on the arts during the Cold War. Have you ever heard of abstract expressionism? Yes, I have. Yes, you understand the kind of art we're talking about. Yes. Jackson Pollock. Yes. Blue poles, right? Yes. That crazy stuff that everyone hates. Well, no, well, no, it's more like the stuff that you look at and go, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. What does yeah. it mean and why is it important? Well, it turns out that the CIA pretty much paid for that to be created. Really? Yeah, you want to find out how? Yes. You're listening to I Spied, the abstract expressionism of Australian intelligence. Many people believe we have colour and movement, but basically we're drunk when we do it. Where's the wine? I need the wine. Day drinking! Morning drinking. Always drinking! Hello and welcome to I Spy. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan on day 536. I don't even know. Of I feel like we're in a hostage situation of some kind. Yeah, of just, yeah it does. Hostage situation of our own design. I am currently sitting under a blanket while you come to me from your live studio that you've built also my, under a blanket. My blanket fort, yes. <laughs> yeah. But mine's a fort. Mine's not just a hovel. Mine's a fort of blankets. I know. If I feel like it says a lot about who we are as people. Yeah, <laughs> that we spend this much time concentrating on blankets and forts. Now, look, the CIA and modern art sounds like a really stupid mix. You would agree, correct? Yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing. Modern art was actually regarded as a a really major tool in America's defence during World War II and during the Cold War. Basically, the the thing was this, was art was regarded as a line of national defence in the United States because it would educate, inspire, strengthen the hearts and will of free men. It's kind of like religion. Yeah, well, that's a quote from John Hay Whitney, who was the chairman of the board of trustees of the Museum of Modern Art in New Mm. York. Now, the Museum of Modern Art, or MoMA as people like to call it, MoMA was set up by the Rockefellers, essentially by Mrs. Rockefeller, the mother of Nelson Rockefeller, to the point where Nelson Rockefeller used to regard or call the MoMA Mom's Museum. Right. Mommy's Museum. Now, the thing was, the Museum of Modern Art was having tours of modern art, US modern art, throughout World War II to try and express and inspire other cultures to look at this. Now, you'd think, why art? But Winston Churchill summed it up brilliantly when someone turned around to him and said, look, during World War II, we need to cut arts funding because we need to put all that money into the war effort. Churchill's response responded quite famously by saying, if we do that, what are we fighting for? I think that's a great response, though. I think that that's something that current politicians, particularly 
you know, what's been going on recently with cuts to, you know, universities and particularly the arts have taken a battering. And I feel like that's something that we need to remember. Exactly. Why are we fighting? Why are we fighting? Now, the interesting thing was there was just after World War II, Two. So in 1946, the State Department spent $49,000 buying all of this artwork by artists like Jackson Pollock and mm. Rothko and Georgia O'Keeffe, all of these great American artists. Well, they weren't really regarded as great. They were avant-garde, all right? These are avant-garde right. artists. And then they sent it on a tour of Europe. And it was widely accepted as being a fabulous idea, and the Europeans went, oh, we like this. Uh, très bon. We think it is very sophisticated. Yeah. Right. And the Americans did not. The American government lost its shit over this, to be perfectly honest. An article in Look magazine said, your money paid for this, with pictures of the modern art. And even... Harry S. Truman, who was president at the time, turned around and went, if this is art, I'm a Hottentot. A savage. So the Americans did not like this artwork. But why would you send modern abstract expressionist art to Europe as an act of defiance in the Cold War? Any guesses? To remind people of free thought... Right on the money. Bing, 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 bing. Right. You get another coconut. Your coconuts are going up in... in oh, my God. I, I love that I get all the coconuts. You get all the coconuts today. That was the whole idea. It was a psyops. Now, psyops yep. we don't talk about a lot because it's kind of... A lot of people look at psyops as being MK Ultra and LSD and men staring at goats. Great film, by the way, if you ever get a chance to do it. Yeah. The thing is, a psyops operation is basically... Well, how do, how's the best way to describe it? It's an operation to convey selected information and indicators to an audience to influence their emotions, motives, and objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of individuals, groups, organizations, and governments. A Again, so- it sounds like religion. It sounds like propaganda. Yeah, religion. Which, essentially, it is, right? <laughs> yeah. But the great thing about abstract art, and the Americans made a big thing of this, was, yes, we hate this. We really, really hate it. It was called the unpopular front. Mm. The American populace in general did not like modern art, but by promoting it, they were saying, we may not like it, but at least we have the freedom within our country to express it. Whereas in the Soviet Union at the time, if you're an artist and you did something like Blue Poles, you'd be sent to a gulag for re-education because it was regarded as degenerate. Now, the Americans were quite happy for this art to be thrown out there. I mean, interestingly enough, they spent $49,000 on art in 1946. They then sold that art at $50 a piece. They got $1,500 back on their investment. What? Well, they just wanted to get rid of it. There were Republican congressmen basically saying, these guys are filthy communists. How dare we promote their work? They're reds under the bed. They're working with the Russians. Right. right. Meantime, this is worth millions now. Oh, well, we paid, what, $1.9 million for Blue Poles, and everyone thought, you know, as everyone said, he was probably drunk when he did it. And knowing Jackson Pollock, he probably was drunk when he yeah. did it. But that $1.9 million investment is now worth in excess of $300 million. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. As investments go, art's, yeah, that's a good art's one. hot property. 
It's really, yes. really hot property, okay? And it's, it's so interesting because I find blue polls synonymous with Australian Parliament. Like exactly. growing up, like especially in Canberra, when you grow up in Canberra and, you know, it was all everyone talks about is blue poles. And it's massive too. It's such a big piece. Oh, it's a giant piece. And, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up looking at blue poles going, Ugh, because my parents went, oh, it's bloody, my dad, it's bloody stupid. And, of course, that was my attitude. It's bloody stupid. Yeah. Until the re- another reason why I'm looking at a lot of art at the moment, uh, mainly because I'm locked in and I can't look at it in person, is uh, my son and I are currently working on an idea. I was educated in art by a homeless man in Canberra. Yeah, the only one. Um, but he, he sat me down in front of Blue Poles and made me really look at it. There were many paintings that I'd sit there with Bill looking at. And funnily enough, the the National Gallery became one of my favourite spots in Canberra. Great place to take a girl on a date. Oh, my gosh. No, trust me. Bottle of Frascati out in the statue garden looking at the mist statue. Remember the mist statue in the statue garden? In the sculpture yeah. garden? Yeah. You sit there under the casuarinas, bottle of frascati, bit of cheese, sipping wine as the mist oh, rolled in. Quite the man, weren't oh, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It worked. It certainly worked. In between, in between bum bags and, like, dental hygiene, you were, like, the man about town. I had a little bit of sophistication going with me. I, I, could, I, I, I could step up when I needed to. Um, I could play the romantic game. So, look, the thing about the, the U.S., Basically, to the Congress turned around to the State Department and went, we're not paying for it. We are not going to do this. Right. So the thing is, the Museum of Modern Art, what was really interesting about it was a lot of the people that were on the board, a lot of the men on the board had worked for the Office of Strategic Service, which was the precursor to the CIA. These guys were doing the covert operations in Europe for the United States back during World War II. So a lot of these guys who had worked for the OSS then went to MoMA to work as either curators or on the board. So essentially, MoMA turned around to the CIA and went, if you pay for this, we'll organise it all. So they started these tours. They were buying art because the other thing the CIA realised, while everyone was like going, oh, communism is terrible and anyone on the left is deadly Mm. to our cause, the CIA realised after World War II, the only people that were actually really anti-communism in Europe were the socialist left. The socialists didn't want communism. It's an antithesis to what they want, right? Or, you know, yeah. communism is authoritarian, socialism is egalitarian. Yeah. So basically, the CIA went, why don't we start promoting all of these avant garde artists, jazz musicians, avant garde writers? We'll start promoting these different people under the guise of, and you're going to love the title of this, they had a thing called the International Organizations Division. And in that, they created the Congress of Cultural Freedom. <laughs> Congress of Cultural Freedom. Yeah, it sounds I love pretty. That. It sounds pretty bleak when you think about it. It sounds really. It sounds somewhat sarcastic. Well, uh, it also it sounds like the antithesis of what it actually is. Exactly right. So they we're, set we're it putting, up. We're putting everything together about cultural freedom, but we're going to confine it into a Congress. (laughs) Well, exactly. And the other thing you're going to love about this was they were promoting all of these musicians, all of these writers, all of these artists. They didn't tell them it was the CIA. 
because they knew if they turned around to Jackson Pollock and went, look, we want to, we want to promote your artwork to promote American culture, but also we're the CIA and we're paying for it. They knew straight away that most of these artists would turn around and go, fuck off. Of right. course they would. But isn't that what Captain America's for? To promote America and culture? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That shield, totally culture. <laughs> Is, isn't Captain America the new version of Jackson Pollock, the movie? Oh, we'll get onto that. That's a really good point because the thing is this ran, the, the Congress for Cultural Freedom, based in Paris because, of course, the CIA went, where's the best place for us to put this so we can really get in touch with the cultural elite of Europe and the yep. rest of the world, chuck it into Paris. Paris is art, right? It really is. And if you've ever been to Paris, man, I love Paris. The Louvre, yep. all of the great museums, it's fantastic. So basically what they did is they turned around and went, okay, we're going to set up this office. They had 20, maybe 30 different like high-end art magazines that they produced. They were you know, touring. The Boston Symphony Orchestra toured Europe under the auspices of the CIA. So they ran this until 1967 because the American government realized the best way to promote freedom and to literally ridicule tyranny is to show them that we don't care what someone throws onto a canvas. So yeah. they ran it that way until about 67. And then abstract expressionism was kind of being overtaken by other art forms and also pretty much you'd find that the American government couldn't afford to buy that kind of art anymore. Because in promoting it, they created this market for it, and suddenly you're paying $1.9 million for a picture, which 30, 40 years later is worth $300 million. Yeah. So they had that. So what does the CIA do now? I don't know. Why? Well, it found a little book called Dr. Zhivago. Ever heard of it? Yes. Oh. So one of Russia's great, like they're regarded as one of their preeminent authors, it was banned in the Soviet Union. Really? I know. All I know about it is it's one of my mum's favourite movies. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. Was it uh, Julie Christie and Omar Sharif? Yes. Omar Sharif, an Egyptian playing a Russian. I like it. Um, no, my mum was so in love with Omar Sharif. Oh, everybody was in love with Omar Sharif. Well, I wasn't, but you know, he was he was great in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. I mean, he was he was a brilliant actor. He was fabulous. The thing is, it was um critical of the 1917 revolution. So the CIA paid to have it produced. Really? Oh yeah. Cuz they're oh, wow. they're thinking, well, what they first did was they went, let's let's get copies printed in Russian and send those you know, drop them into Russia. So they can read this book and then they can question, why is our government banning this? Why is it being censored? And then, of course, they created the movie, which then, again, pushed this groundswell that Dr. Zhivago was this important piece of literature. Yep. And as such, Dr. Zhivago would then permeate its way into the Soviet Union and everyone would, again, start questioning why their government was doing it. It would start working on their objective reasoning. So that's what the CIA started doing. They started producing movies, or at least helping. To the fact now, can you guess a couple of movies that might have been produced or assisted by the CIA? Ooh, color movies produced or assisted by the CIA. Um, no, I can't. Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Now the thing is, the CIA kind of 
get painted in a bit of a dark light in that one because you've got all those right. scenes where they're, you know, stress positioning and waterboarding and torturing. Essentially, let's call it what it is. They're torturing suspects to try and work out where uh, Bin Laden is. Now, the CIA actually advised on that film. They turned around and went, look, we're going to advise you on this one to make sure you get the story right. We want this to be well, accurate. And I also think, you know, when they're showing scenes of torture in the in that era at the, that time, it was all about the ends justifying the means. Oh, it was, yeah, it was totally accepted at the time as being yes. just what we did. Now, on yep. the, the other one that they worked on heavily was Argo. Have you seen Argo, the one about the Iranian hostages? No, I mean, I don't normally sit down to these deep, heavy kind of movies. Oh. I leave that for my husband. Argo's hilarious. It's very tense and dramatic, but it's also quite funny. I mean, John Goodman's in it. John, anything John Goodman's in is good. Yeah. But again, the, uh, the CIA were very, very helpful in the production of that film because, again, it's a story, it's their history – and they wanted it reflected correctly. And the other thing that the CIA were thinking, and this is what they, they actually have a department in the CIA geared specifically for this, is most people learn about the CIA and what they do from Hollywood. So right. why not be proactive and make sure the message gets out? So you've got Argo, you've got Zero Dark Thirty. Would you like to take a guess at a film that was presented to the uh, CIA for assistance and they roundly rejected? It's a very popular film. Uh series of films, actually. Okay, can't. Go. Oh, Born. James Bond? The Bourne films. No, James Bond's oh. British. They wouldn't touch James Bond. That's English. No, right. The Bourne yeah. films. Really? The, well, so good. they essentially turned around and went, this has nothing to do with the CIA. Really? They, yeah. Oh. Oh, it's got nothing. Like, no, I'm sorry. Matt Damon's never going to get into the CIA. I'm sorry, but it was there. Those are some of the best movies, the Bourne films. Exactly, great films. But when it like, it's a great movie. It's a great fantasy. But when it reflects reality, no. I mean, the ability to make a super soldier is really, really hard, right? We kind of oh, oh really? <laughs> well, Australia kind of experimented with it with um, with what they did with the SAS where they basically turned around and went, we're going to bring people in, not put them through the normal sort of process of going through general recruitment. We're going to recruit them straight into special forces, which created this idea that we are super soldiers and therefore they didn't have to answer to the regular army. And that, that's why we've had, got these problems right now with our special forces and what's happened in Afghanistan, right? Because so they went rogue. They went rogue. Well, they, they just, they become a power unto themselves. The idea of drugging someone to the point where they become uh, an automaton super soldier yeah. also is, man, it's really, really hard to do. And it's not the CIA's business. It's not what they do, all right, no. essentially. And again, as we always say, whenever they need somebody with those sort of skills, they'll go to the special operators working in the military and use them. Right, yeah. so you know, zero dark thirty. The CIA did all the groundwork to find Bin Laden, and then they immediately handed over SEAL Team Six because they're the guys that know what to do when they're kicking in the doors. Yeah. So basically, the uh, the CIA turned around to the producers of Born and went, "This is going in the burn bag, and we never want to hear of it again." But it was a great script, and they had Matt Damon signed up to it, so it got made. The other one was a, f a TV series called Alias. Oh, I loved Alias. Yeah. Well, the CIA one helped of my make favorite. it. Yeah, they helped make it. Did they? Yeah. So all of that stuff is true. 
No, they just helped make it. I mean, it, and it had a great cast. Oh, I mean, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. And um, if you have you seen it? Oh, bits of it. Oh, my gosh. I, it was like literally one of my favourite shows when it was on. Well, the nice thing about it was because of the assistance the CIA gave the producers of Alias, Jennifer Garner wound up doing the recruiting ads for the CIA. Really? Yes. That's crazy. But that's the, inclever, the the clever thing about using art as a form of psyops, all right? Now, the CIA, with what they did with their cultural stuff back in the 50s and 60s, that helped promote American culture at a time where everyone thought America was a cultural wasteland. It was rock and roll and denim, and they were full of Philistines and pigs, but they had this incredible art community, this really strong artistic and cultural yep. side. It was a dynamic culture. And that was, again, just, it's a needle. It's a, it's a thorn in the side of Russia who have got that brutalist socialist realism that, you know, remember every statue is was Stalin reaching into the future and um, Lenin reaching into the future. And you, you see it reflected in the um, artwork of, say, North Korea. It's very bleak. It's very brutal. It's very yeah. realist. So America basically got an end run around the USSR by doing that because it's actually good for any organization or any nation to promote its its extremes, which leads me to a point that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an online plea now. Anyone listening for ASIO, you should sponsor us because we're actually doing, we're doing some really important work for ASIO. Did you know you're actually working for ASIO and you, you didn't know it? No. Well, they're not, pay- they're not paying us, but uh, right. I mean, that's what I want to do. Basically, guys, we're doing a lot of work for you. I got a lovely message from a listener, Jackson, uh, via Twitter. Right. Jackson's just joined the Navy. He starts in a month, and <laughs> this is great. He said, look, thanks very much. The episode on security clearances really helped when I was doing my application. Right. And I'm, I'm going to continue to listen to the show because it's a great source of just general information on intelligence. Yeah. So when he was doing his security clearances, did he learn to, like, get rid of his cash? Like- <laughs> totally deleted Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> deleted Facebook. Cookies, no. Always press no, not yes. Yeah, no, 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 no cookies. And, no um, cookies. No, I don't want you to pa- – I don't want this app to pass on my private details to the owner. Uh, so, yeah. look, ASIO, if you're listening, and I know you are, come on, guys, throw us a couple of coins and we'll, 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 we'll happily we- spruik for you. We will, do, we will continue to do our good work, and that is talk so highly about ASIO, but so <laughs> badly about the fact that you even got in and worked there. Yeah. Look, we, yeah, I am the, the textbook case of what you don't want as a spy. So, look, that, that is a, basically it. That is art in intelligence. It is a great tool to yeah. promote your culture, but also think about it. You had uh, the Museum of Modern Art wound up buying the US pavilion at the Biennale in Venice. Now you'd think, so what? Who cares? Every other national pavilion at the Biennale in Venice is owned by the government of that nation. The United States one was owned by MoMA. 
Now, right. the fact that it was owned by MoMA, that meant the CIA could quite happily slip in and sponsor what it wanted into that pavilion. And also, don't forget, you've got all of these artists. No spy is going to look at an avant-garde artist and go, he could be a spy. So you've, now you've got a way of getting like agents into the field and no one's going to pay attention to them. It's well, like yeah, comedians. Artists can barely shower, let alone, you know... Exactly. There was a great quote, actually. I mean, another great quote from uh, Harry S. Truman, and I really love this one because, and when you hear it, you'll go, yes, I can understand why you like this. It was Truman's attitude towards modern art. He hated modern art, all right? But again, as we said, he didn't ban it. He didn't turn around and declare it as degenerate. He went, I don't like it, but it exists in America and it's a part of our culture. We accept it. But this is what he said about modern art. Modern art is the vaporings of half-baked lazy people. The vaporings (laughs) of half-baked lazy people. He was talking to me. I feel like I feel like he's not wrong, and yes, I do see a lot of likenesses to you in that. Statement. Oh, totally, totally. It's it really was. I went, how did he know I was going to exist? The man <laughs> is a genius. Um, but that was the thing. He accepted, and again, Eisenhower was even more like more encouraging. He actually went to the twenty fifth anniversary of MoMA and made a speech, and basically he said he called modern art the pillar of liberty. And he said, as long as our artists are free to create with sincerity and conviction, there will be healthy controversy and progress in art. How different it is in tyranny, where artists are made the slaves and tools of the state, when artists become the chief propagandists of a cause, progress is arrested, and creation and genius are destroyed. And so, you know what, just to round up, this makes complete sense, right? Yeah. And it's... Particularly grates on me because right now we are in the throes of losing a lot of great artists. Like our art sector, particularly in Australia, right at this moment in the midst of a pandemic, is just decimated because Mm. they're not getting the funding, they're not getting the support that they need. And I think we are now on the precipice of potentially going in the wrong direction because we're losing an arts sector. I I don't want to be too political, but I do regard our current government as being quite... They're they're philistines. They really regard art as something that is worthless, which is an incredible disservice to the role art plays in society. It's important. It's very important. I mean, It's very important. Not just because I am an artist... Yeah, well, yeah. Right, I don't yeah. know what you. I don't know if doing voiceovers is particularly art, but it's it's a job. I get it. <laughs> I would regard what we're doing with this podcast as artistic. <laughs> I don't know if it's art. Just to wrap it up in a nice little bow, I do think everything you've discussed today is kind of has a sweet little irony with what is going on right now, yeah. and that is that we potentially, as people, are losing the things that make us great as humans. I would totally agree with that. Hear, hear. Well done. So support this podcast. And if you want to talk to us about it, at Podcast on Twitter. (laughs) We're artists. We are. Bullshit artists. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 